The Apostle Paul famously said, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Paul wrote as a Jew from Tarsus in Asia, writing to a congregation in Rome, asking for support for a mission to Spain. From its earliest decades, the church has been an international, interconnected, supportive sending community. The Alliance has always taken this to be our mandate as well. When Robert Jaffrey gave up a prosperous career to proclaim the gospel in China and Vietnam, it was groundbreaking work. Jaffrey and others leveraged new means of travel to go farther than ever before, and they gave their lives to establish churches in places where the gospel hadn't yet been preached. The value for mission lives on in the Alliance today. We are driven to reach the billions of people who have never heard the life-changing message of Jesus. And this year's Jaffrey Project is focused on the largest population by far, South Asia. Across only a handful of countries, there are a billion people spread across 500,000 villages who have never encountered the gospel, thousands of languages without a Bible, and a, a population that is growing by nearly the size of Canada every single year. We couldn't possibly send enough people to make an impact. But sending doesn't always mean sending people from here. In this case, it means partnering, to send South Asians to reach South Asians. Our partners in South Asia are training and sending local indigenous church planners to reach nearby communities with the gospel, to plant churches and raise up new leaders who will start the process again. To date, they have planted 30,000 churches and we have a vision to eventually help them plant 50,000 more churches in the coming years. This year, through the Jaffrey Project, we are raising $300,000 to build two training centers. These facilities host new leaders for a, a year-long training program that really is the backbone of this successful multiplication strategy. Together, we can make an impact, respond to God's call and the opportunity before us to play a different but no less important role. Partners in the gospel to preach Christ where few are not have heard. It, uh, for those of you who are watching this message um, after today, I, I got to tell you, we just watched the slideshow and it had uh, kind of 10 years of memories in it. Now, for those of you who are here with us, I got to tell you how beautiful it is to look back on all those relationships. And it just does the heart good to see uh, friends, um, to, to remember our moments together where we worked, where we laughed, where we ate together, where we realized that we're together, we're not alone. And I, I see people that I know have moved away and I go, oh, I miss them. But it's not loss, it's just 
when I see them next, it's going to be great. And I, I see so many of those memories that are there, and I think this is uh, God working in our midst, drawing us together. And uh, there, there's, no, there's no way I think that you could have um, attributed me better than to show the people I got to be around. Just so good. And the, the great part is that some of you out there, absolutely some of you here, are great people to be around. I say some of you because i gotta, I got to leave a, a little bit of room for you to be human. But you have made a difference in my life. And I, I really want to tell you thank you for that. So much, um, I think we assume, is that it goes this way. But that's not the whole truth at all. I am so grateful for the way that you have been a part of my life, how you have encouraged me, how you have let God work in your life, how you have taken a step, even though you were nervous about it, how you have done things that risked, how you were bold in your faith like you'd never been before. And you tried. Good on you. Keep up the good work. And let's keep going together on this road trip. I love the picture because we're going together. We're on a road trip together in earnest pursuit of Christ. We know there's going to be hard stuff along the way. How much better to have each other to go with on that way. So, uh, when I was in Bible school, my first year of Bible school, uh, second semester, fr uh, February the 5th, I was in a car accident. I'm pretty sure I've told you this story before. The kind of um, thing that makes it, when you say a car accident, doesn't really have any weight to it. I was driven over by a transport truck. And I should have been dead. It was a life changing moments since I didn't get dead. But it took, it took time. I had a fairly significant head injury, concussion. It took me quite some time to get out of it, some would say. Never. Um, but in, in that time, uh, I, I was also in a dating relationship. And probably the worst one of my life. And those of you who have ever had a dating relationship or even a a marriage relationship that went sour, you, you, you kind of know the all-consumingness of that discomfort. Maybe even if it's just someone that you lost through death, you, 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 you sense that loss, and it's an ache that continues to be with you, and it takes time to move on from it. And so um, it really affected my brain. I had very little short-term memory, so I, I, I could forget things from when I hear a professor speaking I'd go to write the note and forget what I wanted to write down. Um, I came home, and this relationship was dark, very manipulative, and uh, it, it had an impact on me in a, in a lot of ways so that my personality changed in that time. And I was, I don't know if I was serious, but I was considering 
a, a, a suicidal kind of thing to say, this is just more than I can handle. It's more than I can deal with. It's too heavy for me, and I don't know how to shake it off. I'm just, I'm just caught in it. It's sticky to me, and I'll, I'll have a moment, but I can't seem to have a couple of sustained moments, and I know that there's so many of you who have had or are having now moments that are like this, that uh, stick to you. you. You can't get rid of them, and I, I was, I don't think, a particularly nice person to be around, and I wasn't particularly concerned that I wasn't a nice person to be around. It was very much about me at that time, and what I wanted, and what I felt, and uh, woe, woe is me. And that might have been very um, honest about where I was. This is just, this is just how I'm trying to process it. And in that time, my youth pastor, or former youth pastor, because I was out of it, but I'm back in, back at home, and he came to me and he said, Graham, I'd really like you to be involved in youth ministry. And I said, oh, Gary, you're so, so wrong. I'm the exact opposite of what you want. I am dark now. I, I don't find that I have joy. I have questions about everything. I am more sarcastic now than, than I've been in, in, in quite some time. And sarcasm has always been sort of a, uh, a weight on my back, how to stop being so sarcastic. And I'm, I'm in the worst kind of place that I think I've ever been. You absolutely don't want me around people who you're trying to help in life. He goes, no, it's not true. I want you to come. And so I'd been spending most of my time at my best friend's house at the time, and we'd hang out in his bedroom quite often with the drapes um, closed, and we'd sat together in the dark, and we'd listen to sad music. You ever done something like that? The song for me at that time was fairly new, and just to stay true to my U2 referencing, uh, it was Love is Blindness. CDs were fairly new, and they had this awesome feature called Repeat. Never before in my life have I ever wanted Repeat. The button I go to is Shuffle. I want random. I want unexpected. But this time it was Repeat, and I'd play that one song over and over. Love is Blindness. And I'd stay in that place. I'd stay in that mindset. And he kept coming to me and he said, you, I, I want you to come. I want you to come. I don't want you because you're a Bible college student. I want you. You can help. And I had a great relationship with him and I know that he had helped me. And so I finally decided I'll give in. I'll do it. I'll go back and I'll help. What am I going to do? Got nothing. And it started out that I would uh, endure whatever it is was the program that we had on for the day. And then I'd get to after, and we had a gym, and so we'd encourage some of the kids to come and let's go. We got 45 minutes or whatever before your parents are going to be here, or as long as we can make them wait. <laughs> and we'll play ball hockey. And we'd play ball hockey in the, the basement of the church. And then I'd meet some more of the kids, and I, and I knew who they were, and I learned um, some more of their stories, and their stories were very unlike mine. And, I, and I'd learn that the discipline that this one guy, Daniel, when his parents wanted to discipline him, they told him he wasn't allowed to go to church. 
That was his punishment. When, when I was growing up, the, the punishment was you had to go to church. We're going to go get you churched up. See if we can get you straightened out. He wasn't allowed to go to church. And I'd hear more of his story how he'd run home from school on Wednesday nights because if he didn't have his homework completely done before, he wouldn't be allowed to go. And so he had to make sure everything was done and he had to make supper and he had to do these other chores far beyond what I was ever asked to do. And he had to do it all before he was allowed to go. And I learned something from Daniel. And watching him um, impacted me. And in that time, and I, and I know that some of you, you're going to be able to identify with this part, absolutely nothing about my circumstances changed. Nothing. And yet, I started to see differently. Not just me. Man, there was an awful lot of taking care of me that I needed to be doing. I needed to be taking care of me. I knew that. Because who could be more important in this world than me? And especially as I'm wounded and I'm hurt, recovering from a brain injury, being forced to drop out of school in my second semester, having a girlfriend, the relationship went so badly. I was so dark. There's so much about me that was important at that time and someone needed to care for me. And yet, there was Daniel and then there was a couple of other students that were there that their circumstances just seemed to be noticeable. And in a lot of ways, not as good as mine. And so I started to continue to play ball hockey with them. And, and, and then we, we tried to encourage them to come on another night. And, and then I got more engaged in the conversations, in the Bible study time. And I started to see a flicker inside me coming back to life. And that season afterwards, my parents told me, Graham, we, had, we thought that we hadn't seen you smile in about six months. And if you've ever been around me, you know I kind of like to laugh. I love enjoying jokes with people, even when they didn't think there was a joke. And I still found it funny. And it just wasn't me. Because all I wanted to think about was me. And not being forced, being welcomed into the opportunity to see someone beyond myself was incredibly liberating. It sparked transformation in me. And I believe very much that God used dark circumstances that happened in my life to transform me and to open a pathway before me. And I liked that pathway. And that pathway pushed me to go back to school. Really wanted to go back to school. Really wanted to finish. Really wanted to be involved in this ridiculous life called ministry. I really wanted it. And, the, and it grew out of this, I don't know that I want to be alive kind of mindset. And in that time, I found that my faith was actually deepening. When I came back out of darkness, I found that my sense of who God was was now very much my own. 
not something that I had been taught when I was a little boy, not something that I had been taught or forced to go to as a teenager, not something that somebody had foisted upon me. It became mine, my faith. My choice. And my God. And in that, I think I started to understand and experience who God is and what He's like. And how that sense of what we have is not just for us. Not just for me. Not just about me. And so I went back to school and I learned and I loved it. And I went on from there. Not that everything has been perfect since then, but that moment and that time and those months shaped me and opened a doorway to me so that when I come today and I want to talk to you about the Jaffrey Project, it's a chance for us to partner with our large C church, the denomination that we have, but other churches as well. It comes from this idea in me that it wasn't just about me. And it was nice to have somebody who was right in front of me who I could see regularly, but now I understand much more broadly. There is a world filled with people. My country is filled with them, but every other country is filled with them as well. People who need to know that God loves them and that Jesus died for them because it makes a difference. And our goal is not to make them live like we live. Our goal is not to say, and now that we've told you about Jesus, you should give up all of your cultural stuff and become like me and do what I do, sing the songs that I sing the way that I sing them, but the freedom to actually give what we're called to give, the gospel. And the gospel is, is a word that distances us sometimes. So it just means good news. I, I, I want other people to get good news. Do, do you want other people to get good news? That was the story that kind of sparked an arc, a pathway for me. Not the only one. There's lots of other moments, but that moment has, has always stuck there for me because it was so important to come out of so much darkness and to have it replaced with so much light. And the only thing that changed in my circumstances was that I could see somebody else who needed what I could identify as more than I did. And the healing for my circumstances came out of my changed perspective my new paradigm, my new encounter with God. And now when I'm able to look back and we can celebrate 10 years here, but 25 years in ministry, never would have guessed that. I want to welcome you in to a conversation that's more than just about you. I care about you. I really do. Your stories matter to me very much. I, I, I love the way that you have shared so much with me about who you are and where you are, what's hard for you, where you're struggling. And I want to, at the same time, welcome you into a story that's not just about you. So much bigger than just you. You are incredibly important and you are loved individually, personally, by God. He sees you, he knows you, he loves you, but not only you. Not only you, there's so much more that we get to be a part of. 
So if you could take me to the next slide. When we talk about sending people, we want to be involved in international mission. I understand that now in our world, these, um, sometimes the words are not so uh, popular. They're not so well uh, accepted. And we, we have people who are talking about cultural genocide and what we have in our history done. And I go, we have to own some of what we have done. Some of it was with good intention, but misdirected. Our goal is not to change somebody else's culture. Our goal is to welcome them into a new kingdom. And that kingdom, ah, it's so much bigger than just what we see. So when we say that right here in Stova, we're part of the kingdom of God, someone in Spain can say the same thing and it can have a different aroma. It should still smell like Jesus, but the way that the other stuff happens around it will be, can be different. And we want to be part of the process, in the process of obeying Jesus when he called us to do. And so the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it means to follow the things that Jesus asked us to do. He told us to be involved uh, serving communion, doing communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. And we're going to do that today. And he called us in, in, into baptism, that we are to be baptized. He, he gave a specific direction on this. But the overarching mission we call the Great Commission impacted this guy, Robert Jaffrey, that we named the project after. He was um, the heir to the Globe newspaper in Canada. So Globe and Mail now, at that time, the Globe. He was the heir, and he gave up his inheritance of all of that because his dad wasn't supportive. And he said, no, I'm called. I got to go. And he went to, to China and to Vietnam and to Japan and he expanded using the skills and talents that he'd been gifted. He opened up print ways, and he said, this is what I'm going to give my life to. Not just, not just that newspaper. This is what I'm going to give my life to. I want to be in that. And so we named it after him because he's a guy who, who kind of exemplified things that we would like to see happen. People who are so committed, so changed, that they can refocus themselves and say, that's what I want to be about. It ain't just about money, and it's not just about security. I want to be in Jesus, I am in. Let's go. Let's change the world. And he did. So we named this after him. We want to be able to open that. We started the focus of uh, the Jaffrey Project in 2016 to focus on international mission. Christian Missionary Alliance, that's our denomination, CMA, or just the Alliance. We're, we're kind of heavy into mission. The idea that your life would go somewhere beyond just you. That we would be involved in doing what Jesus said and that Great Commission, take me to the next slide, please. The Great Commission, it appears in all four of our Gospels. And you know what the Gospels are, right? There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The story doesn't stop there. Then after that, we go into the book of Acts. It appears in all four Gospels and the book of Acts. This was a big deal. Jesus mentioned this. It came up a lot. And so in Acts, we get Acts 1-1. Eight. And this tells us a story. It arcs it out for us. This is what it looks like. And he says, uh, this is Jesus describing to the disciples what you should do. So first of all, let's wait for a moment. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So when we partner right now, 
Remember some of the agencies I told you that we partner with? We partner locally. Crisis Pregnancy Center, Restore Canada. That's like these people in Jerusalem. That's the city that they were in when they were waiting. So God says, I'm going to work through you in Jerusalem. And, and, and then outside of the, the, the city of Jerusalem, there's a region. The region's called Judea. You're going to go to Jerusalem, and you're going to go to Judea. And then the next region, the region that was sort of attached to them, is Samaria. You're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. But Samaria is not just the next region. It's also a region that they are polar opposites of. They have been fighting for generations. They have disagreements, deep, deep disagreements, and they have inbred systematic cultural racism both ways. We don't mess with Samaritans. Samaritans don't mess with Jews. Stay apart. You see them, spit on them or spit on the ground near them. That's what you do. Go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth. That was the call. You don't go alone because as you wait, you will be given power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and empower you for this mission. That's what we are part of. The story didn't stop in the book of Acts. It keeps going. It keeps going. It keeps going. And generation after generation, it looks different. And sometimes we have to approach it differently. We've got to change our strategies, change our language, adjust our methods. But we get to be part of this mission that Jesus himself started when he came from heaven and said, I, I, I left what I had. I gave my privilege and, and I'm here for you because you need to know. You need to know that God loves you. And, and somehow you've got that message all mixed up. I don't know how it, it got so mixed up, but it is mixed up for you. you. You thought that it was just about following these rules, but there's so much more. God loves you and he has opportunity for you to live out the kingdom of God, to let it come to life around you. So in, in terms of strategy update, our next slide, um, we have a strategy and the strategy right now is to target South Asia as the major, major gateway to um, an unreached world. We used to talk about, if you've been in church for years, you, you would know that we had talked strategically about the 1040 window, the latitudes and longitudes that opened up a part of this world that was the most unreached in the world. We are starting, narrowing, focusing, still within the 1040 window, but focusing now on South Asia, uh, committing to renovating and building two new um, training centers. So the, the idea of training centers is that we're not going in to tell them how to do things to be like us. We're going in to train indigenous people to speak to their indigenous culture and their indis, indigenous language to create their own indigenous church. That's the strategy. It's not, let's send a bunch of white guys in pith helmets over to tell them how to do stuff. How do we train? How do we set up? And so that's why we're building training centers. It's very intentional in what we are um, trying to do. And each of those places is to commit to 25 new church planners each year. So the goal is to train people, to build into people, to invest in the people. That's what we're inviting into. So slide, next slide. Um, some ideas about how to pray for South Asia because there's, part of it is knowledge. We just don't, we're, we're kind of ignorant in a lot of things, but part of it is financial. Um, part of it is prayer. We believe that God moves and God changes things and changes people, changes circumstances. And so we stand with, we support our international workers. And so there's uh, a discernment that we, we're going to pray for, which is uh, 
God, ah, where do we go? Because when, when you go to another region, you, you still got to find a geography. You got to find a physical place. Where? Where's the right place? Where strategically should we be? What would make the most sense? What would be the most convenient? What will help people the most? Help us with something incredibly practical, very specialized in that. It's easy for us to say, oh God, take care of that whole South Asia place. But there's someone at the end who has to pick us somewhere. So that's one of the things we want to pray for. The next one is establishing um, the right partnerships. Like we wanted to partner, we know that we can't do everything around us, so why try and do it all ourselves when there's other people who are already qualified, already trained, and already in action? Partner with them. So who are the right people in South Asia? Who are the right organizations that are already there? Because we, we don't have to be totally right. We can be right with them. Right? Together we can make this thing happen. It doesn't have to be all under our banner. We don't have to get all the credit. We don't have to take all the, all the notoriety. We want the project to happen. We want the kingdom of God to expand. And so we can release that to share with partners. That's part of the mission. Praying for who to partner with makes a very big difference. Next, uh, next slide. It's about our world. Our world is something that sometimes we know a little something about. Sometimes we kind of lose track of. We need some partners because there are 196 different political countries in the world as of right now. You know how the map works. That number can change. 196 different countries. Seven, more than seven billion individual people. Really hard to grasp what kind of number that is, what we're talking about that. And then inside those countries, inside that large, group, that large number of total people, there are 16,700 different people groups. And a people group can exist in more than one country or just in one or just in part of a country. So in the past, we focused on specific groups. Specifically, you remember we talked about the Yazidis. We're going to focus on the Yazidis. Well, the Yazidis live in more than one country. And in fact, part of the reason that they live in more than one country is that they're driven out of many of the countries that they exist in. So we target people groups, not countries. Because within any country, you can have multiple languages. Even in Canada, there are more than one, there's more than one official language. And there are many more languages that are spoken in Canada, even if they're not um, official. And we know that people respond best to matters of faith when they hear things in their heart language, which is not a language that they have learned in school, like many of you have learned French. Learned French, right? When you can speak in their own language, eyes light up. I remember when Cheryl and I went to Thailand, we were hanging out with uh, Derek Burnett, one of our international workers who, who's focused on Thailand for the last 20 years. And we were with him, tall, white guy, and we'd be wandering around, and then he'd look at someone and just start talking to them. And they're like, whoa, you, you, you speak this, and you speak this well. They're, the whole way of listening to him changed. If they, if they heard me, yeah, we know tourist, right? Distant, not part of us, don't know anything about me. Why should I listen? But when Derek spoke, people listened. Their eyes changed. They, they, they called somebody else. you got to see this white guy. He's talking Thai. Listen to him. It changed their heart. And that's what we want to do as we share the good news. As we offer good news, 
if we can get it so that it's not even the white guy who speaks really well, but the indigenous person just speaking to another person, we've, we've helped ourselves because that line that you have to cross at the beginning is removed. That's part of the strategy. The who, uh, we're focusing on, this is the next slide, uh, 500,000 villages in the, in the area that we're looking at. 500,000. The part that blows me away more than anything else is that the, the size of the people group is changing so rapidly that you can take the entire population of Canada, somewhere around 37 million people, and you can add that to the number of people in this region that we're focusing on every year. Every year that group went up by 37 million people. Boom. Boom. How do you, how do you stay up with that? Slide eight. So um, the next thing is uh, praying. We're praying for the impossible, right? Because we're not, tell you the numbers, tell you the size, tell you the geography, tell you how much they're culturally separate, how difficult this is going to be. The goal of 500,000 baptized, believing, evangelical Christians is enormous. And when I say evangelical, we've got to define that term really quick here because it's gotten a lot of bad press lately because a lot of politics has been attached to it. That's not what it means. That's just what's happened. Okay, evangelical means that we want to be involved in evangelism, that we find that uh, telling people the good news, that's what evangelism is. We, we, we consider that to be a priority. We put that high on our list of things that we are supposed to be about. We believe that Jesus has called us to do that, and we want to be obedient and follow him. So when you hear evangelical, please understand that the real meaning of the word is not the political meaning of the word, and certainly not the political meaning of the word south of the border. That they have, um, well, we get messed up. We're all people, we all get messed up. But the evangelical side is people who will be about telling other people, sharing what they've been given. And the mission is summarized nicely with uh, our next slide. From Galatians chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 4, but when the, when the set time had fully come, um, that we might receive adoption to sonship. No, to, no, I got them in the wrong order. But when the, the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive sonship. Sonship, child adoption. That's what we're talking about. That's what God came to do, to adopt us into his family. And that's the message we want to deliver. God came. God saw. God was part. God said, I'm not going to condemn you from afar and say, figure it out, people. He said, there's no way. I got to come. I got to help. I got to open the door. And I want to adopt you in. I want to claim you as my own. I want to I want to um, make you part of my family. I want you to join in the inheritance that is for all of my children. You're, you're not just someone who, who works for me. You're, you're adopted in and you're called a child. That's the story that we want to be able to tell and to share. So the, the goal, the next slide, 500,000 baptized believers, 50,000 growing churches, um, and $300,000 for this year to get that started. We're saying we can be part of that. And the beautiful thing is it's part. It's not up to us to do $300,000. It's up to us to do a part. I remember um, one of my times coming back from, uh, no, before I, I went to school, when I was still in high school, I had a job um, on the side, and so I had some money. And I remember 
having um, a message where there's a presentation about needs of, of, of another country. And I was starting my process to care, because before that I didn't care. Um, and that, that day I think God spoke to me very clearly. And I, I never even then really carried cash. But I, I left the service during the, the music and then when I went across the street to the gas station, and the gas station had an instant teller, and I thought, I, I, I got to go, I got to do this. And I went there, and for me, I looked at the presets on there. I got to give. I got I to do something. And, and for me, this was just like a, a huge moment. I touched the $50 one. I'm going to do this. This is going to be real for me. And $50, this is like, what, 200 years ago. So $50 is a lot of money. And I'd never really done this before. I'm going, but God is speaking to my heart and I don't want to ignore him. I'd like God to speak to my heart. I'd like him to prompt me. I'd like to have a closer relationship. And if I practice ignoring, if I practice giving myself an excuse, I'll never do it. So I took the money out and I came back in in the middle of the service, put it in an, in an envelope and I gave it to an usher because the offering had already happened. For me, that was a central moment and I've never forgotten it. God spoke. God released me, gave me the confidence that my money wasn't getting thrown away, that he would use it. And I trusted him. I took a step of faith. I trusted him and I moved ahead with that. Changed me again in that way. So this is the, the, the plan that we're looking at, those two new training centers um, and then two more after that and so that we get up to 20 more in the next 10 years. It's a huge goal right? But it's not just us. It's not just us alone. And we set a goal like that for 10 years to make a difference, planting churches, getting involved in these people's lives, because church is not about indoctrination. Church is about relationship, right? Like, like when we heard from Arlene, that, that eating together, that, that time of getting to know each other, somebody else sees me. They, they, they can identify with me. That's such an incredibly important pardon. So we wanted to be able to do that. So you can do that. We already talked about this. If you wanted to give, you can go straight to their website, uh, cmacan.org um, slash Jaffrey. You can give straight to that, or you can use any of our church methods to give. That will uh, cover it as well. Um, and just mark on there what you would like it to be. As we uh, come through that kind of section. This, these are steps that we want to take, steps of devotion. One of the things that brings us back, that connects us with God is communion. And so that's where I'd like to go now and to set you up on a path um, for that. We, we remember, we, we learned about communion that, that we believe it is a symbol of grace. Now, when I say it's a symbol, I don't mean that it means nothing. I mean that it's symbolic. It tells a story and we want to remember the story. So when we do a checkpoint Sunday, which is where we're at now, we choose to remember to reevaluate and to refocus. We remember what God has done in the ancient past, our past. Thank you, God, for what you've done. We reevaluate where we are. Am I living right now in the way that God wants me to be and the way that I would like to show my faith to Him? Am I at that place? And if I'm not, which I'm guessing is most of us, we refocus. And when we refocus, we set the direction before we go out. So that's where we set it up. Um, Matthew 11 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. And then in the message, we, we hear it like this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. 
get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a rest, a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live life freely and lightly. You're welcomed into that. As you choose to respond to God today, I want to tell you also Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and He will have mercy on them and to our God, for He will freely pardon. Your pardon is possible. And so as you consider where you stand, where you sit before God, if He's bringing something to your mind even now that you need to repent from, to walk away from, then do it. Ask for that forgiveness. Repent for what you need to repent so that we can move forward and that you can walk away feeling free. The Apostle Paul, as he was writing to the Corinthians, he he told them what he was told. And this is the the passage that we've um, heard many, many times in the past. This is going to jump ahead to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So I'm jumping slides there, sorry. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And if you don't have your communion, if you're at home, you have a chance to grab some of that. And if you're here and you don't have one of these packets, then you just want to put up your hand and we'll make sure that we get uh, someone to deliver those to you. I didn't tell them that in advance, so they're going to respond very carefully now. If you would like it, just put your hand up and it'll come to you. You peel the top piece off. It comes off in two layers. Take out this gluten-free wafer. A symbol. A symbol that means something. It tells a story. But more than that, here's my, my conviction. This is an opportunity for God to give you grace. As you choose to take this and remember the story, to put your faith in Jesus and what has happened, and you are asking that you would be forgiven, you would ask that God, I want more of you in my life, then taking this symbol becomes an opportunity for God to say, I hear you. I got you. And I believe that many times this is a way that grace is actually infused into you as a gift from God. Not because of what I do. Not because of what this is. Not because of something that we did except to say, I'm earnestly seeking you, Jesus. We take the bread. Thank you, God, for opening the door for us. For forgiveness. Thanks for seeing that there was a problem. Not saying, I hope they get it but paying the bill, sending your son. Jesus, thank you for coming, offering yourself willingly to be a sacrifice that opens the door for my forgiveness. Continue with verse 25. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. The old covenant was the one that they got at Sinai. The new covenant is the one that Jesus initiated. The blood that paid for it 
is his blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We remember you, Jesus. We remember what you have done for us, in us, and through us. 28, for whenever you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So you've got to carefully open the next layer, especially if you're wearing a white shirt. Careful. Blood of Christ shed for you. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everybody ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink the cup. That's why we started with the words of pardon, the direction to go. Lord Jesus, take this symbol as a a declaration of our desire to follow you. Our, Our declaration to put you inside us that you would live out that you would make a difference inside as you get into all of us, all of our thoughts, all of our actions, every direction, every place we go, every relationship we have. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would transform us and those relationships as well by your grace. Meet my friends who are here today who are in need of your grace. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be kind and gracious and you would grant them that gift of yourself today that they might have the power and the strength to carry on, to overcome, to bear up under, and to come through. We put our eyes on you, trusting you symbolically here, spiritually in this context, but physically as we go forward, our trust is in you. Stay with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.